Nick, you watch any game shows? Oh, yeah, you know I'm a big Jeopardy fan. Jeopardy. I like a whammy. You ever seen whammy? <laughs> no whammy, no whammy. <laughs> no whammy, no. I like that. Oh, what's the other one? Wheel of Fortune. That's Wheel a, of Fortune. Speaking of wheels, not Wheel of Fortune. This is the GMO Wheel of Change that we're going to be playing with today. Ooh. This is about, you know, the laziest episode we've released yet, I think, by the way. I don't know. My uh, Lula one was up there. <laughs> no, at least you read an article for it, man. I didn't have anything, so I was just like, you know what? I'll spin this damn wheel. Whoa. Do we win prizes? <laughs> no, we just get to uh, read a little blurb about GMOs. The prize and maybe of some, knowledge. Yeah, prize of knowledge. So this is from beyondgm.org. Beyond GM is a UK and Europe based organization dedicated to, you know, knowledge of genetic modifications to food. So this wheel, it's got uh I don't know. What does that look like to you? One, two, three, four. Twenty-four. Twenty-four different pieces variety of different topics from farming to consumer to the marketplace to the environment and the different effects that genetically modified agriculture has on the world so for this very lazy episode of poison for profit what we're going to do is just give the wheel a few spins uh and read what it has to tell us, and maybe talk a little bit about it at the same time. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. Well, without spin that further wheel. ado, we're going to spin this damn wheel. Get that click in there. Make sure people know we're spinning a wheel. <laughs> Ooh, no price premium. So do you think that there's a price premium associated with GMO foods? Or organic foods, even. I would well, think. Well, wait. Am I supposed to answer? <laughs> yeah. I would sure. think GMOs would be the cheaper stuff because that's what's more mass produced. Yes, and that's a that's a big um, talking point for the GMO industry is that organic costs more. So we're really taking food away from people without so much money. But here we see that GMO food products aren't more nutritious and they aren't cheaper to grow and they don't fetch a premium at the farm gate or in the grocery store. In fact, the public re rejection of GMOs means convincing consumers to buy them can be difficult. One reason why manufacturers have consistently refused to label their products as containing GMO ingredients is that consumers have indicated they would not buy them if they knew they contained GMOs. So I think that's a good point, right? Like, we, we just got done with an episode talking about labeling, organic labeling. The real fear that GMO producers have from labeling is that uh, it really kind of muddies the water of what's, what's really the process in the food being grown and what is contained in the food being grown, right? So... People are much more reluctant to buy that. So the food is really cheaper because they're obfuscating how it's grown. Yeah, and that 
to me just shows like they they know that the people don't want these. I don't want GMOs. You don't want GMOs, but they're going to try and not put it on the label as much as they can. They're going to drag their feet or put it really, really small so you might not see it because, I mean, it's it's a dirty word, you know? Right. Manufacturers persist in using GMOs because they are cheap to buy and can be easily turned into ingredients such as high fructose corn syrup or soya fillers. Another good point, right, is is high fructose corn syrup is in so many processed foods that we know are bad for people. Artificial sweeteners, uh, additives, flavorings. And there's studies showing that more than half of the Western diet is made up of highly processed foods, which, although cheap to buy, are nutritionally poor and therefore contribute to increasingly levels of malnutrition in people who otherwise appear to be well-fed or overfed, otherwise known as obese, right? Um, yep. It's not. It's not like. It's not that obese people are like eating too much, right? They're eating just really bad food. Right. It's just so much sugar. Your body has nothing, no idea what to do with it, and I think it really pushes a lot of people into. Is it? type 2 diabetes correct yeah yes yeah and then from there they really keep going uh downward in the health gain yeah and and a lot of these are sometimes only option in certain you know low-income communities because these are so cheap to buy because they're, they're processed into these very unhealthy ingredients and that's what's then shipped to these communities, just the inexpensive stuff that has no real nutritional value. All right. Yeah, spin We're gonna that wheel spin again. again. Ooh. Ooh. Beneficial weeds? What the hell is a beneficial weed? I think that's that thing they have in Colorado and California, Zach. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. It is said that a weed is any plant growing where you don't want it to grow. In fact, Mm -hmm. there is a very fine line between crops and weeds. So many, or sorry, many so-called weeds are edible and nutritious in their own right. Others, including many beautiful wildflowers, are an important part of the food chain for insects, birds, and small mammals. Still others attract beneficial insects that help control numbers of invasive and crop-destroying insects. So a couple points here, right, that, that we do talk about pretty often. First one being the that some weeds are, are edible, right? Like, uh, And it really is just whether it's selective or not. If you have something growing in a field you don't want it to be growing in that is competing for sunlight or, or soil nutrients or whatever it might be, you're going to call it a weed, obviously, and try to get rid of it. But even things like dandelions, we bought dandelions at the, or dandelion greens at the uh, the farmer's market this past weekend because the farmer said, like, it's good for digestive health, um, which I had never known, right? You always, since you're a child, you're told that dandelions are weeds, Right. Yep. And yeah, I feel like pick my them. dad yeah, made me go around pulling them all with a <laughs> yeah, pull them by the roots. Puller. Yeah. Yep. You got to get the root. <laughs> yeah. 
but I feel like, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot about dandelions as well, uh, that how good they actually are for you. And I think I've been seeing them in a lot of uh, salads now, too. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and the other part of that being biodiversity and how these so-called weeds provide, um, whether it's, you know, flowers, wildflowers, providing pollen for bees, nectar for, for bees and po- other pollinators, or, you know, just uh, another food source for other insects that feed on the more damaging insects, right? Mm-hmm. Often erroneously assumed to compete with neighboring plants for soil nutrients and water, like I just said, some weeds provide the soil with nutrients, either directly or indirectly, and can help prevent soil erosion. Another really good point, right? They're really integral to soil health in more than one way. Yeah, and I think this is, for one, with the soil erosion, like we talked about, the dust storm that just happened in the Midwest, uh, where six people lost their lives. I think it's uh, seven there was now. Six or seven. Yeah, yeah, that's just terrible. And if we just had something like a weed in quotation marks covering that soil, keeping it from eroding, that would be probably not have happened. And the other thing is what we're missing in a lot of these crop fields is the total system. If you just have, let's just say corn, for example, that all that corn is all competing with each other for the same nutrients. So it's, I feel like it's just simple enough to put in a weed quotation marks that puts that nutrient right back into the soil and then helps your corn grow that much better. Right. Yeah. And then a couple examples would be uh, like legumes and I think clover, maybe they're, they're nitrogen fixing plants. So they take nitrogen out of the air and put it into the soil so other plants can use it in the soil. Right. So, yep. I mean, it's really vital because a plant needs nitrogen to, to grow. It's a, it's an essential nutrient for plants. And it, it, the more you, you know, keep one thing like corn in a field, the more nitrogen is pulled out into the plant and not being replenished especially when you have just that one plant the vast majority of genetically engineered plants are designed to be resistant to herbicides allowing the farmer to spray as much as he likes he or she likes to to kill surrounding weeds without harming his or her crop unfortunately weeds have developed a strong resistance to these chemicals many even thrive in a pesticide heavy environment some can now only be killed by using flamethrowers. Uh, and trying to remember if we talked about this in our glyphosate episode about super weeds now that, um, like this says, it, uh, Roundup will not kill them. Yep. Yeah. It's something that uh, we talked about a lot when I was getting my certifications for pesticide. And it's kind of just coming to me right now talking about this right here, but the way that traditional agriculture works, there's Roundup Ready corn, right? That's glyphosate based. Are there any others really resistant to that's herbicide? What I'm to think of. I don't. I know dicamba. It exists for dicamba. Right. Um. Yeah. Dicamba. Well, anyways, well, we can look into that more. But 
that goes against how you're supposed to spray. You're supposed to rotate pesticides as often as possible because of the development of resistance, which is why we have some of these, I think, these weeds actually coming up that now are resistant to herbicides because they've been so exposed to glyphosate. Right. They're just, yeah, and especially the Roundup, completely resistant because it's it. non selective, right? Uh, it's just a catch all, right? That's used year after year. Yeah. And it really reminds me of, I know this is very different, but somewhat similar. Uh, it's like the overuse of antibiotics. Yeah. And now we have these super viruses yeah. that we yeah. can't it's use a, uh, antibiotics on. Very sim- parallel uh, situation. Ooh, in addition, pesticide drift, when pesticide spray is carried on the wind, means that neighboring non-genetically modified crops can be decimated by the herbicides used on gm crops this is something i mean we've talked about probably all this stuff that we've that we're mentioning now but um especially with like the very volatile pesticides like dicamba um that can spread over a mile to to neighboring fields i mean there's it's hard to be safe from these chemicals yeah absolutely and especially with the amount that a lot of these farms are spraying. I just don't really see them properly calibrating right. their equipment every day for those that day's conditions, which as when I was spraying pesticides, I took into account that day's conditions, adjusted you know your droplet size, the spray pattern, all of these different factors that you can do to adjust the volatility of your mix. Um, and then again, I was spot spraying, so it's not these big broadcast sprayers that are spraying everything and anything. So, yeah. All right, we'll go to the next one. Spin that wheel. No whammies. No whammies. No, no whammies, whammies. No whammies. Bankrupt. <laughs> no. Soil health. We mentioned this in the last one. I feel like I've said yep. it. We've mentioned this so many times. Uh, soil is a dynamic living ecosystem and the health of that ecosystem determines the health of the crops we grow. There's mounting evidence that GMO crops are having a significant adverse impact on soil health. Recent U.S. research has shown that soil growing GMO crops have reduced levels of beneficial organisms such as fungi, which help plants absorb nutrients from the soil and protect them against disease. It's also shown a rise in levels of potentially harmful microorganisms, reduced earthworm activity, and reduced soil respiration. Similar impacts have been seen in other countries over the last decade. So, I mean, like, it's twofold for soil health. The, The... Things that attach themselves to roots, the the micro ribosome, is that what it's called? Rhizomes, or I'm, I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm going off of my my education from like five years ago, uh, <laughs> but it's reducing those those beneficial symbiotic organisms in the soil, and also really help in the same way helping the the microorganisms that are not good 
or plants in. Obviously, uh, everybody knows how important earthworms are to the soil. Um, I think I think it's been shown Roundup has, reduces earthworm size by like half. Maybe oh, population wow. too. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like very damaging to to microorganisms as well as things like worms that everybody is well aware of are a very not just you know important to soil health but a real indicator to how healthy a soil is yeah that's really interesting i I want to kind of read that study about roundup and earthworm size that sounds interesting to me yeah i was just gonna say is it goes with this you know reduction in the beneficial microorganisms i would also like to throw in there again that this is again problem of using the same crops year after year after year there's not a real system for these microorganisms to come back or these fungi yeah it's just this is what happens and it's kind of a you know it's gmo crops and it's the traditional conventional agriculture that are pushing these yeah yeah i mean you, you till the soil up you kind of you know dig things out of it so um that's obviously damaging to topsoil. Then you lose the topsoil through erosion. And then you put chemicals on it or whatever it might be. It, all these things just compound, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is another thing with tilling that really makes me upset because the main way that any invasive species that I would ever have to go spray or how it got to where it is is through disturbance. And tilling is the you know definition of a disturbance right uh it's like the ultimate disturbance yeah yeah you're just asking to get these weeds into your system into your you know fields it's just like yep please i hope these seeds come into this field yeah Uh, i think a lot of a lot of farmers think that like that's the only way to suppress them though before mm-hmm. planting right like you have to dig them out by the roots by basically tilling the whole field and then plant fresh seeds in there i mean yeah like like you said it's it's kind of counterintuitive because that's how you spread invasive species around right and then like in reality if it's depending on the invasive species if you're tilling it up you might just be spreading this rhizomes and it reproduces with those rhizomes. So it's just making, you've had three plants. Now you have six cause you chopped it into, you know, a bunch more pieces. All right. We've done three so far. Don't want this episode to go too long. So I think we should maybe call it a day on this one. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good. Just want to, say thank you zach that was really interesting i kind of liked the jumping around and not knowing what we were going to get <laughs> kept me on my toes um but as always i just want to thank everyone for listening check the show notes for our social media where you can send us your questions comments concerns uh any topic ideas anything along those lines uh, anything else from you zach talk to you next time